Hello, welcome to episode two of the podcast and today I'm happy to say I've got my lovely wife with me. Um, Hi everybody, how are you? It's April here. Uh, sorry I missed last week. Um, I was busy with home and child duties. Yeah, and then we've got, as, as we do, Kai on the tech. What's going on everyone? <laughs> so um, last week, you know, I, I spoke about COVID and coming out of COVID and going into, you know, with your business and changes that may need to happen or have happened and the direction that we're moving forward. And today we're going to kind of carry on with that a little bit, but not necessarily being talking about COVID specifically. I mean, we've all spoken about COVID to death. To be honest, I'm sick of talking about COVID. Yep. I think everyone's probably <laughs> sick of it. So. You know, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do it last week, get it out of the way, get it done, and then so we can all move on. It's important that we do move on with our businesses. So instead of mentally, um, I struggled more than I thought I would, and I, I think it's okay to be struggled. If you have struggled, it's okay to have struggled. Don't, don't beat yourself up about that. It's been a really tough time. Me and April had a, a good discussion, you know, yesterday there was some tears in the sense that it's been hard. It's not an easy time for anyone, you know, so. But we're gonna put that aside and I don't wanna go down that rabbit hole today because we, today I wanted to bring a topic to you guys that has sort of been grinding my gears a little bit. Um, and for those of you who have followed me for quite some time now, you know that I'm quite a passionate person and um, I like to talk about things that grind my gears and things that I don't think are right. And so the topic for today's podcast, um, understanding the risks of being a sole trader. Um, I work with a lot of people in business who do um, come to me and are sole traders and I, I help them build their business, grow their business, work with their branding, their budgets, their finances, websites, whatever it is that's involved in their business. But there are a couple of things that are happening in this sole trader space uh, that are grinding my gears. So we're going to go through them today. Um, and one of the biggest things that is grinding my gears uh, is the government um, promoting that there have been a huge number of new businesses commence because of the number of ABNs that have been registered. Yeah, and I, 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 I touched on that last I, week. I yeah. call bullshit on that. Um, you know, there's a very big difference between uh, somebody registering as a sole trader and obtaining an ABN and somebody running a full-blown business. And the day that they register that ABN, they do not become a business. That is not how it works. A lot of, a lot of the time in their mind, they become a business. Um, but it's really important that we establish the difference between running a business and just being an employee. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, there's a really big difference um, when it comes to being a sole trader and a, a company. They're the two that we're going to use for comparison today. Um, and a lot of people I speak to, they find they, they think that registering to be a company <coughs> means that you are going to run a huge, massive corporation. And, and that just doesn't have to be that way. Um, if you are registering as a sole trader, um, from my opinion, you are looking to just uh, gain employment really for yourself through your business. So you might be a draftsman, you might be a hairdresser doing hairdressing from home, um, you might be a cleaner running your own cleaning business and you might choose to register as a sole trader to get started. For me, that's my 
I, that's the purpose that I see as a sole trader registration. What about you? Oh, I think the issue is is that I've heard this a lot when we're speaking to our clients is that they go to their accountant or they go to their you know person who they think of you know is good they trust and everything, mm -hmm. and I hear this time and time again that they're told just start as a sole trader, mm. um, and that's because there's a lot of people out there who just start businesses and they don't go through with it. And so the, the advice that's given is just start as a sole trader because, you know, and then because see how it easy. goes. It's easy. It's, yeah. It doesn't cost much. It's easy to get started. And if it works out, we'll change later on. Mm -hmm. The biggest challenge for me with that, and this is the discussion I have all the time, is that what happens is, is you start your business as a sole trader and then you do develop your business. It does work. And it does it, grow, it, it does expand, yeah. And then you get busy and you get- Especially clients that work with Boss Brain. <laughs> <laughs> it gets busier and busier and busier. And then all of a sudden the accountant, you, you go back to that same accountant that says, hey, well look, now that your business is going really well, um, we probably should change your, your structure. You probably shouldn't be a sole trader anymore. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, what do we need to do? Now, from their end, it's really easy. They just change over a couple of things. However, from your end as a business owner, and I've been as through- the, As the sole traded registered yeah, individual. That's right. As, as that person, as the business owner, you have to do a lot of things. And that those things can be just as simple as setting up new bank accounts, telling all your clients that you've got new bank accounts, if they're paying into your bank, mm -hmm. setting up new supplier accounts, you know, change, sorting out your insurance, sort, sorting out work, like all these little things that the accountants don't do. Mm -hmm. they, they say they've got a checklist of all the things they need to do, but they're not physically doing it. Mm -hmm. And you've got to do that while you're flat out with your business that's now successful. Mm -hmm. And it's really challenging. And uh, I've found that it's a really stressful process for yeah, anyone that's to do that. Yeah, and I think that, that, you know, for some people, that's not a big deal. And, and for some people, the sole trader structure for running their business is fine. Yep. And equally, running the company structure for others is better. But my biggest issue at the moment is, is the government gloating that there has been a huge number of new businesses registered when that's not the case. And what we're seeing now, and look, this has gone on for years, but I think it's really bad at the moment, is that there are a lot of companies who are requiring subcontractors to have their own ABN to effectively operate like an employee, yep. but they are a subcontractor. So what that means, they have to register and get an ABN, which effectively means that they are a sole trader. And then they invoice the company for the work they do. Now, some of you might be listening thinking, oh, what's the problem with that, April? You know, they, they're getting work, it's contracted work, these sorts of things. Those companies are shortchanging those individuals because those individuals are working in a way that they are operating as an, an employee. They have to work under their guidelines and their policies and their procedures. They have to present themselves in a certain way. They have to um, treat clients or customers in a certain way if they come in contact with them. Now that's very much operating like an employee, but they're subcontractors. So what that means is they're getting paid at a subcontractor rate, which is not governed well, to my understanding by the award. Well, this is what's happening is, is that these companies are negotiating with these subcontractors 
below standard, yes. you know, rates. Yes. But because they're seen as a separate entity, they can. It's up to the entity to charge whatever. Yeah. That is. So like, let's just give an example. So you might be a delivery driver, and let's just say the award for the delivery driver is twenty-four dollars an hour. If you were an employee. These subcontractors are, have, are entering into negotiations with these companies and they might be only getting paid $20 an hour. Or less. Or less, that's right. Now, what's happening is that not only are these people get, getting paid less money than what the government award stipulates, they are also, in most cases, not getting paid super, not getting paid sick leave, not getting paid annual leave, and they are getting screwed over. Well, I mean, uh, by law, they have to be paid super. So just on that, for anyone who's... Not sure if you do do this, if you, if you have subcontractors as sole traders mm -hmm. and they're working on almost like a roster system like, or they're an like an employee, <laughs> you are actually required to pay them super, just yes. like you would as an employee. Yeah. But the thing about super is super is calculated as a percentage of what you're paying them. Yes. So if the rate is like really low, and so what we're experiencing, and this isn't meant to be racist by any means, a lot of our delivery drivers out there are international people. They're people who have come from overseas who, where the wages are a lot lower mm -hmm. and they're subbing for these companies. Mm -hmm. And someone told and me the other day... these are big companies. Yep. You know, these are big companies. So I, I got told the other day Star Trek is doing this in the sense that they're subbing out to these international people and those people are prepared to work for a lot less than what, the, you know, the normal going rate is because that's, you know, they're used to getting paid... $5 an hour, you know, not 20 or $30 an hour. So they might still be complying by paying the super, but the super's based on a percentage of what they're getting paid. Mm -hmm. So it's a really, uh, you know, I think it's something that really needs to be sorted out in Australia. I do agree that wages, I've heard this topic recently and it, it really bothers me where they're saying, oh, wage growth hasn't gone up over the last few years and that people are promoting that wages need to go up, to me, by doing that, you're just gonna make the problem worse. Yes. You know, it's gonna push more people into starting these ABNs and, you know, like Kai, I know you've been doing some DoorDash recently. You, were you required to get your own ABN to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was lucky that I already had one, so I was able to sign up relatively quickly, but yeah, yep. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a requirement. And I think just to jump on on that, in terms of how things need to change, um, if you consider, how things are going in California and overseas with you know, Uber and Lyft and these guys, like there's been massive pushback, especially in places like California, San Fran, that sort of place where Uber is like, you know, so popular and so big that, you know, there's been a lot of pushback in terms of making sure that these people are being treated as employees yeah. and have all of these benefits. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people in, you know, government organisations and, 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 and parties, you know, they advocate for the rights of the employee. And I just think it's exploitation of these people to be um, having them work in a way that they are working as an employee. They have no say over what their policy or their procedure is or anything like that. They have to work by your policy or procedure, yet you're, you're ripping them off and yep. using this loophole um, of, of being a ABN holder, which is not a business. So all these people who have registered for all these delivery jobs and all of this sort of stuff, they are not operating as a business. So therefore, the statistics well, yeah. are skewed. Technically, technically, as far as the data is concerned, they, you are a business if you're doing that. What April's saying is 
For us at Boss Brain, we don't regard that as a business. No. We regard that as you're an employee of that company mm -hmm. because you reliant on that income. Like that's, if you don't work for that company, you don't have any other contracts. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're effectively an employee, but you're yeah. doing it through a subcontractor. Yeah. So what you've always got to ask yourself is, when we're looking at relationships, you know, staff to owners, and you've got to look at, well, who's benefiting? So why are companies doing this subcontractor thing through, as opposed to doing employees? It's because there's benefits to there's them doing that. There's a massive benefit to that. So you've got to, to look at it. You've got to look at, well, what are those benefits? And, that, and then you've got to look at, well, are they actually in a benefit to the people that they're getting to work? And the answer is, is most of the time, no. Right. It's very one-sided towards the, the business. Yeah. Now, on that, like, we're very pro-business and you know, we're trying to, we work with business owners. I just want to interrupt you with that because we're very pro-business, yep. but we're pro-ethical-based business and I am against exploitation of people. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I'm and, saying. Is and that this is what's happening right now and I want to lead into the next dot point that we have there is being a good business owner because there are people who see this as an advantageous way to run their business. Yes. Whether they are in a, you know, I, I'm on a lot of caravan park forums, so many of you know, you know, we're heavily involved in the caravan park associations and, and industry. And, you know, I've seen jobs being advertised for um, subcontracted park managers. Now, really, come off it. Yep. You cannot be a subcontractor park Manager. Well, the thing is, though, you can. This is the, you, you the, can, but it's bullshit, <laughs> yeah. right? Because you got this person, or this yep. often this husband and wife team, which is what ha happens a lot of the time, or a couple. I don't want to be sexist. Um, you've got these. Often, you've got a couple of people, and they come and they manage the park. Now, some of these organisations, these parks, are ripping these people off. So I've heard they're 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 being paid as subcontractors, so they're doing their subby rate, so they're not getting all their other benefits. Then they're also charging them rent to be on site, often in their own caravan, yep. to manage these parks. And I'm just like, these people, I, I spoke to them the other day, it works out they're earning like 40 grand a year. Yep. And they are working ridiculous hours. So, so what that happens is... Exploitation. So the what they come back and say, yeah, but those people don't have to do that. They choose to do that. And that's the problem we have. So... You know, I think the, the point of the talking about this is highlighting that this is happening mm -hmm. and this is what people applying for jobs are up against. And it's not, it's not just, you know, we use Kai as an example, as a web developer, come and apply for a job with us at Boss Brain. He's competing with Upwork and, you know, these, these you know, freelance companies and stuff where they're like, there's multiple people on there that you can go and get for very cheaply to do hourly rates. So you're not committing to it, you know, 38 hours a week and things like that. So these are the challenges that pe people are facing. And what's happening is, is it's driving a lot of people. And I think during the lockdowns and stuff, even more specifically where people can work from home mm -hmm. to go out and register for these ABNs. Mm -hmm. Now, what I just want to jump back to what we were talking about as far as whether it's right for you or not. If you have any dreams of growing a business to a certain level where you, you're not just exchanging time for money, you know, there's this elusive talk about passive income and some people I, I achieve passive income. I just want to in there too yep. because I think that if you are planning on growing a business and if you're listening to this podcast or watching this live stream, you probably are, then if you have any ambition of employing a person to work with you in your business, 
then you probably should look at setting up as a company. For yeah, look, you can do it as a sole trader. If you just or, if or, you, or a similar. If you're thinking about just having one person, then maybe that's fine. But also understand that it's not just about size; it's also about liability. Mm -hmm. So sole traders give you no protection from a liability point of view. So all the liabilities on you personally, and that can be a really big thing. Depending on two things: one, what do you own? If you don't own anything, you know you've got nothing. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect you because you've got nothing to lose. But if you've got an investment property or you've got some assets, you've got you know, a car and you've got a few things, then you've got something to lose. And then the second thing is, is how, what's the chances of something happening in your business where someone might sue you and your insurance doesn't cover you or you know, something goes wrong where someone could come after that business? When it's your business, and we had a business owner who was a swim school teacher operating as a sole trader. If a, sole, if a swim school person came to me and said they want to open up as a sole trader, I would be like, "Red flag." that is crazy <laughs> to me because if, it, if someone was to die in that pool to drown, you, would, you hope that insurance covers it, but you don't know what then could come after that. There could be all sorts of civil claims or whatever, mm -hmm. and they're going to be coming after you personally. Whereas... When I think you have to do a disclaimer here because you're going pretty deep that you are not giving legal advice. Yes, that's true. And you are not true. giving financial advice <laughs> and you are not giving tax but advice. What's, so what's important is, is that you consider these things. But the problem is, is that a lot of people going into business when they go and get advice from an accountant, they don't know the right questions to ask. Yeah. And that's why I'm talking about this. It's because these are the questions you want to be asking your advisor. You want to be able to say, well, what's my liability if I do this structure? What are the dangers of doing this? What, what does it mean if this happens? What, what happens if someone hurts themselves? What happens mm -hmm. if, you know, I go broke? What can potentially happen? Mm -hmm. And they're the questions that you need to ask. And most people going to business don't know those questions. Yeah, and I, and I think that's, you know, a lot of people are sometimes confused of what we do at Boss Brain and and really we help people know what questions to ask. And we constantly refer to their accountants and their solicitor and their financial advisor. And in many cases, I've got really great working relationships with these people that they work with because sometimes the business owner, do, they do not know which question is the right question to ask or what things they look forward to, need, need to um, look at. And you know, it might be that they are either buying a business, they might be selling their business, all of these things, are, or building their business. There are, at every checkpoint along the way, you need a good accountant, a good solicitor involved um, to help you with this. But if you don't know what questions to ask those people, those people can't help you. That's right. And, and a lot of the times those people, and this is not having a go at them, it's just how the training, that their, their education and how they work and how their business model works, they're what I like to call reactive. They have the knowledge and they answer the questions, but a majority are not proactive in the sense that they're not saying, hey, this is, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And that's where you know, more business advisory comes from and whether it, you call it consulting, coaching, all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. it's more so than, and some accountants do that business advisory and it's taking you through that journey of, okay, the different paths. Um, so I just, I just want to bring us back to where we are because I feel like we're going down different tangents. Yeah, no, that's right. We started so, off with this risk of being a sole trader. Um, I, one of the last dot points that I want to bring to it to a head, and we're sort of talking about this here, is you know whether you're going to be a sole trader or a company if you've got employees. At the end of the day, the most important thing is to be a good ethical business owner. 
And, you know, I was talking to Carly before we come onto this and there, you know, is a quite well-known person that Carly and I both follow. And they constantly promote that they have like 16 employees and they've got these beautiful photos of all these employees and it looks really great. But I'd say 12 of those 16 people who are advertised as their employees are actually subcontractors. subcontractors yeah. They are not employees. So you can't say, oh, look at our amazing team. Woo, go us, we're so big. We've got these 16 people. And then on the flip side, actually only four of them are employees. Because when you're a business owner, there is a huge difference. And for those people who have got employees, genuine you know, employees, there is a very big difference between managing an employee and managing a subcontractor. You know, the subcontractor has more independence, more choice, more freedom, they can leave at any time. Um, the, you know, ultimately they're helping me by working with me on the business. Whereas the employee, they are my 100% responsibility. So I have a responsibility to provide a, a good, safe workplace where they feel welcome, they feel respected, where they're paid, where they've got the opportunity to grow and expand. I've got to make sure I pay all of their entitlements. I've got to look after them. I've got to manage them from a human resources perspective. Now, when you've got a subby, you don't need to do that. So, you know, I was talking at the start where things grind my gears. If you are a business owner, do not advertise that you have a team of people, of employees, when they're actually subcontractors. It is misleading. It makes your business seem bigger than what it is. And to consumers who are looking to potentially work with you, it is false advertising. Yeah, so, so just on that, and we're working with, you know, Kai at the moment, he's doing some, you know, what we call white labeling. So white labeling is, is where a business works for another company who's the one that actually delivers the product. So let's, I'll use web design as, a, as an example, where someone is saying that they do web design and web development, they build websites, whatever it may be. A lot of these marketing agencies don't actually do that in-house. They, they do the strategy and everything with you, they do all that you know, consultation, customer direct facing stuff, but the actual work of building the website, they get subcontractors to do it, meaning they get freelancers or they you know, have someone, they might have a, a company that they work with, which is what Kai's doing at the moment, where they work for, they might have a contractor say, we do all of your, your web development work. Now, there's nothing really wrong with that from a customer point of view. Where it becomes wrong, and what April's talking about, is where they're falsifying, saying, hey, we do this, we do that, we do this, and they're charging a lot of money, but the people who are actually getting paid to do the mm. work are getting paid pittance. Yeah. And that's where it can be not ethical in our point of view. If that person is getting you know, paid appropriately for the work that they're doing, perfectly fine. You know, would you... Like, what's your view on that, Kai? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it comes back to these um, conversations before about the freelance, like, platforms like Fiverr, Upwork, yep. those sorts of ones where, you know, <clears throat> a lot of the time these agencies will, again, will say that they do this stuff, but rather than having a white label relationship with us, you know, as a, another agency that can provide these services locally with, you know, employees that are getting paid fairly, they're actually you know, finding people online and you know, partnering up with some of these workers. And again, there are 
exceptions to it. Of course, there are, you know, very highly skilled um, workers. Like the, there's a platform specifically that I like to refer to from time to time, which has very high skilled people that probably get paid more than me per hour um, online from overseas. But, um, you know, people don't normally go for those places because they're really expensive. And the whole idea is that they don't want to pay someone, you know, a web developer five or 10 grand for a job when they could have just hired them for two months at that sort of salary. So yeah, definitely that, you know, there's lots of companies out there that are totally exploiting, um, you know, these people by doing that. But I mean, you know, again, there are exceptions in, in, in our, in our example, us being a white label service for agencies, you know, on the peninsula and across Melbourne, um, you know, we kind of, we want to stand out and kind of show, well, there is, there is actually an ethical way to do this. Yeah. And, you know, that's sort of how we're operating. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I'm all for um, keeping as much of the Australian dollar in an, an Australian's pocket, you know, yeah. as opposed to white labeling somebody, you know, from the Philippines and paying them two bucks an hour. Like, I don't agree with that. If you want to use them, pay them fairly. And what, and it, yeah. And so, where I say about the ethical is maybe where you go to an accountant and you say, hey, I want you to do my accountant work. But the accountant that actually does the work is in the Philippines. But what they do, let's say you're using Xero as your accounting system, they don't give that person a personal login. So it, mm. it might be ABC at 123 accounting, you know, it's a generic login and those people out overseas use that login. So you actually don't know that someone overseas is actually working on your file. Yeah. And that's what April's talking about as well. It's not ethical, it's deceptive and it happens. But I don't want to, I don't want you to think it's, it's not something that you should be trying to do because it can be very advantageous to business to use subcontractors because you yeah. might not have enough work to employ someone full time or part time or whatever. And you just need someone for a few hours on a certain project. Mm -hmm. And that is more than fine. And it's fine to also have a long-term relationship with these people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean we have used subcontractors before for part. a really yeah. long time. So a classic example of how we use subcontractors was with our electricity, with our um, electricians and our plumbers. Yep. So we had an electrician and a plumber. Now they were, their own businesses in their own right. Yep. They did a huge amount of work for us and were such valued team members of our team and they were just, just worth their weight in gold. They could also work external. They ran their own business. We had an agreed rate that we would pay them for the work that they did. It was a good rate um, and we looked after each other. And with that mentality, I always use, you know, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. So if you look after me, I'll give you lots of work. And this is how this worked. And where that is a true sole trader, uh, or that is a true um, subcontractor relationship. And I, and I just, just, you just- They might not be a subcontractor, they may be a company. No, 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 not a sole trader. You just reminded me, you don't have to be a sole trader to be a subcontractor. Correct. You can be a company. So both of these people we worked with, they were companies. companies not sole traders. But they were subcontracting to us and we had a great working agreement. Um, everybody won. And so I think on closing for this podcast, one of the things that I would like to leave with anybody who's listening to this, if you are going to employ somebody as an employee or as a subcontractor, in that agreement, in my opinion, as a business coach and advisor, both parties should win. Yep. Both parties should win. 
an agreement to do business, whether you're doing business as a sole trader or as an um, employee, both parties should win. It should be a winning fest. And if one party is losing or getting a lesser deal or feeling exploited, that is not fair and it should be amended. Yes. That's, that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I guess the, the challenge we have is, is that there's people that, this is what I was talking about with the internationals, they think they are getting a fair deal because they don't actually know what, or they can't get a job yes. full time anyway. So they still think it is fair. Yes. And that's where it makes it hard in, in our society today. And it's, 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 it's an underlying challenge that we're seeing. Yeah. But, you know, leaders have got to be good leaders and they've got to be responsible. And if you're using people and exploiting them because of their lack of knowledge, then that's not fair. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, I think it's it's really important not to treat your relationships as numbers, and definitely these bigger companies do. Um, I not think, all, not all. We can't tarnish them all with the same brush. Some yeah, of them are exceptional. Correct. You know, a lot of them, you know, that do this subby stuff though, they are treated as numbers, mm -hmm. and you know that ultimately means you're not going to feel valued, you're not going to be happy in that in a workplace. So as a business owner really think about that you know it's, it's important if you retainership is really important in business um we have business owners come and complain to us that you know the staff are always leaving and you know like we train them and then they leave it's if you if that person feels valued there's a lot less likely that they're going to leave everyone's going to be happy it's going to be much easier to work with someone who's happy you're happier they're happier we're not always going to be happy but it's about feeling valued. Yeah, so be a, be a good business owner. Um, and if you need any help with this or anything we've discussed today, please reach out and contact us at BossBrain, uh, www.bossbrain.com. Thanks a lot for listening. Yep, thanks everyone. And we'll talk to you soon.